Well, this is something that biodynamics really focuses on a lot. It says, it says, let's look at the entirety of your property because that property is one whole living organism. Just like you have a skin, which is a boundary. There is an insideness to you. There's a content to you and there's an outsideness to you, a context. And if you don't set boundaries, then you'll just flow everywhere and you, you won't know where you end and everything else begins. So I would say absolutely yes, there is a, a wholeness to the property. Um, in the Findhorn people refer to it as an oversoul of the land itself. Um, in Vedic scripture, they talk about the devas or the overlighting deva of the land, which is this entity energy kind of a morphic field of that body of land itself and if if you believe it you can start to have a conversation with that individual or entity um, and express your desires and hopes to work with it and ask for its desires and and the more that we're learning about consciousness and energy and organisms is there are fields of information that inform the material stuff and so yes to answer your question there is an overall field of information that could be referred to as the individual land and we can ask it questions and get answers from it welcome to where hope grows a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards ranchers and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to her capacity for healing ourselves, our agricultural systems, and our planet. This is where hope grows. Hey everyone, this is Taylor Collins, and you are listening to Where Hope Grows. This podcast is brought to life by the support of Force of Nature, Rome Ranch, and of course, the grace and beauty of Mother Nature. Today's episode is about connection, specifically our capacity to connect with the brilliant and diverse community of life that is Mother Nature. It always amazes me that despite how our species has advanced technology or our understanding of science, as well as our ability to create art and beauty, We often fail at the most fundamental basics of communicating with one another and the other billions of organisms that we co-create with every single day. For example, when was the last time you stopped and admired the beauty of a tree? Have you ever told a meadowlark, hello? What if when you slowed down and smelled a wildflower, its nectar became sweeter? These are my greatest hopes and beliefs. But before we arrive at a future in which this is possible, we must first believe in the possibility that all living organisms have the capacity to communicate. From the monarch butterfly to the milkweed flower that nourishes it, from that milkweed to the community of underground life that supports it, everything is connected. Sentience is realized. Communication is possible. Today, I am joined by my friend, Adam Russell. Adam is an ecologist, explorer, and educator who has worked to regenerate lands with use of holistic management, the Regrarians platform, 
permaculture, biodynamics, and he is also the co-founder of Symbiosis Consulting. Adam introduced me to the beautiful possibility of communication with our land, which has been an incredible tool that's connected me in a deeper and more profound way to the community of life which surrounds me daily. Okay, are you ready? Let's freaking do it. Adam, it is such a pleasure to have you on this podcast. You and I, uh, I feel like our paths, our stars have aligned in a really important and meaningful way. You've had an impact on my life, even in the small amount of time that we've actually spent together. But um, you just carry a lot of wisdom and energy that I think is really different, really unique. And I just want to celebrate that and share that with a greater community. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Taylor. I really appreciate that. And uh, I, I couldn't, uh, I'd say the same about you, my friend. Good. Um, okay. Adam, how did, how did you arrive at this practice of creating space to communicate with land? Out of absolute necessity, you know, I was really seeking to understand conventional agriculture, just crushing as many books as I could, which led me to find farmers. Seemed like the the last five farmers that I worked with, it, as I was leaving, they, they would say something like, well, it seems like you're really into this. Um, you should check out biodynamics. And then I would be left at that. They're like, oh yeah, just look into that. And um, so then I, picked up, you know, basically scoured the Acres USA library for anything on agriculture, agriculture and energy, biodynamics, and just started educating myself on kind of the full spectrum of what is currently being done and what are the active alternatives out there. And when it came to communicating with land, really, it was a book called Findhorn Garden that started that whole conversation about this small group of uh, small family in Northern Scotland that started working with land very intentionally and just asking questions and being curious about the answers that they might get. Uh, and so just whenever I didn't have any other solutions, I would give it a shot and I would get back some kind of information. So the two times that you've come out here to actually consult and co-create with us on our landscape. The first time we did a key line plow project. And then the other time you came out, we were collecting bison manure to create a biodynamic uh, preparation. And so this was fun. This is new stuff with you, but each time, like we, we didn't really know each other yet. We'd spoken on the phone or maybe interacted briefly. Um, but I was just so impressed with your vulnerability and your openness because when we started getting to work you're like guys let's let's create a little bit of space and before we get into it let's create a ceremony let's connect with the land and i assume that's something that you do regularly but what is the intention behind connecting with land before you begin working with it well that was one of the pieces that i gathered from the findhorn garden was they said you know, you may not have some deep connected communication with an individual plant in the garden as one of their founding members happened to. And as the story and legend and lore goes that 
she would just ask plants where they wanted to be planted and plant them there. And that's how the garden kind of started. And now it's a whole community out there. But they said, you know, it, it doesn't have to be all that. You just have to let the plants know what you're going to do. You know, they're out there. They don't have legs. They can't move out of the way of your big machines. And, and I thought this was interesting. I said, life can't see non-living things like tractors and motors and mowers and chainsaws because it doesn't have that life force moving through it. So the best, simplest thing you can do before you mow or plant or plow is just name what you're going to do. Just acknowledge what you're about to do with that land just to basically give it consent or at least give it forewarning so that if it's mowed, it's not, you know, it kind of be the, the analogy of it's one thing to have a two week warning to move out of your house from your landlord. And it's a whole nother to just have the door kicked in and your house mowed down. It's going to be a very traumatic experience for everybody involved. Um, so just, let it, let it, let the land know what you're about to do before you do it. And so I started doing that. It just seemed like, well, that just feels like a very common sense thing to do. Um, and the more that we learn about trees and how they communicate with fungus in their roots and that all trees are communicating in the forest and they're sharing resources. <clears throat> um, it makes sense that everything out there is communicating and sentient in some way, whether we can perceive it or not. And what I found was when I started doing that, it felt better in my body and the day would generally just flow better. Um, you know, a couple strange things would happen like the, I had fully done uh, chainsaw maintenance, tightened the blade, tightened everything, refilled all the fluids. And 10 minutes into it, the whole blade fell off. I was like, wow, this, this, that has never happened to me before. And so, but in that moment, it was this reminder of, you know what? I just came out here. I kicked my door open and I just started chainsawing. And I didn't say anything. I didn't notify the natural world of what was about to occur. I just started hacking down plants. And so in those moments, I would stop and just say, hey, you know what? Uh, this is my intention for the day. I plan to cut down these trees and not those trees for this reason. And it seemed like any time that I would do that, it would just flow better. And honestly, I came upon that practice most from climbing because I was an alpine climber up in the Northwest for about 10 years. And I found that when we would start the day with a bit of a blessing and gratitude for the land and whatever experience we were allowed to have, uh, then everything would go better than just charging in, trying to conquer some mountain peak. Uh, so it just became part of my practice. I love it. So you said a couple of things that stood out and I think that are interesting enough to explore and take some time, but you mentioned that plants have sentience. Plants can communicate. It's probably not in the form of communication that most people would expect between you and I, but there is some ability to communicate there. It's documented. Um, so with all this being said, how do you feel about this idea that a plant as a living organism has a soul? Has that ever been anything you've thought about? You know, as an individual, I can't say that I have considered it but I, I feel more personally closer to the morphic field concept of Rupert, Rupert Sheldrake. This idea that everything has 
like a perfect blueprint. There's somewhere out there in the information field of earth, there is a perfect blueprint of an oak tree. And every oak tree out there is striving for that. And anyone who's ever built a house, you know that you start with the blueprint and what you get at the end, by the time you get random carpenters and people in there, it's a little bit different than the blueprint. And that's what makes everything unique and special and beautiful is that uniqueness that everything's slightly not perfect. Um, So I guess that's how I envision it more is there is consciousness, you know, as, as, um, there's a, a monk, uh, Pierre Teilhard Jardin, who talked about how spirit and evolution are not separate. They are parallel and spirit is always moving towards more complexity, more awareness and more consciousness. And so it feels like that makes sense to me that, we are always becoming more aware of our surroundings and each other and other countries and what other people are doing and how plants are communicating. And they may be also doing that to us. So what, in your opinion, is it that plants want? Um, Like what is their divine purpose? And maybe it changes species to species, but like in your experience, what are some of examples that you've seen here? In my experience, I would I would say that it's very similar to house pets. You know, what does a dog want? I think it wants to be interacted with. It wants to be acknowledged. It wants to participate in what you're doing. Um, it wants to serve a function. It needs purpose. Um, and it wants to be acknowledged for what it did. You know, the dog that catches a ball, it, it's got a purpose. It's got a function. It's living it's fully alive and then it brings the ball back and it sees the the love and gratitude you give to it and good boy good girl and i i really feel like that type of relationship is what's occurring silently slowly with plants and trees um and the you know one experience just to name it that that kind of started opening my eyes to this was in the rift valley of kenya um where i was I was noticing, you know, here I am in this very unique place and it's an ancient landscape where supposedly humanity emerged from and spread across um, the the world. And so I sat down and just kind of asked if there was anything that that I could that would be useful to know or to feel what might it be. And it was this feeling of we're grateful that you see us. It's been a very long time and just this feeling of we've been disconnected from, from working with land uh, for a very long time. We, we chop it, we cut it, we genocide it, we use it, we abuse it, but we don't interact with it. We don't revere it. We don't have ceremony around it like we once did maybe in indigenous times. Yeah. I, I feel that, a lot of that resonates with me. And, you know, if I think about like the purpose of a plant, you know, in the context of an ecosystem, it's, it's like community. It, it's the same. It's the same thing that we want with our lives. It's meaning it's purpose. It's doing something that's greater than serving just ourselves. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I realized the other day after texting with you a little bit was, and, it, and it, I feel so guilty and embarrassed, but 
we've been out here for six years and I, I've never taken the time to actually introduce myself as a cohabitant or a co-creator out here at the land. And, and I was like, went out into this field that's behind our house and just sat there and, you know, shoes off hands on the soil. Um, and I just told the land who I was and apologized for my lateness in introducing Aww. myself, but also recognized that that land probably has an aversion to humans because before we moved here, 150 years of some form of extractive, more industrialized agriculture where that land was not seen as a living entity or a flow of energy, but more of a resource to pull from. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just felt like this, I felt like the land was skeptical when I introduced myself, um, but there was, yeah, there was this moment where it was a sense of like, well, finally, like now we know who you are. Now we know your intention. Mm. And I'm like out in this field and I'm getting bitten by fire ants. And like every step I take, I, I step on a sticker bird. But it was like after that moment where I felt like that introduction was formalized, the, the ants just, you know, did their own thing. No more sticker burrs, which are like landmines that par- basically paralyze you, crip- cripple you, um, sand burrs or some form like that. And And then like the most magical part of this whole thing, this like was so special, so sacred was after that got up and started walking and the first wildflower had emerged in that field. Sometime in the hour that I had been sitting there, the very first wildflower popped up. And so that, that was like a really cool kind of like a wink, like, Hey, I don't fully trust you yet, but at least I now know your intention. And Mm -hmm. here's like some kind of uh, peace offering or like, let's collaborate. Let's move forward, which I thought was really cool. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes. I think that's what it's all about. You know, right there. I, you know, after getting into this, I realized that, uh, you know, there's such great wisdom in J.R.R. Tolkien's works, obviously, but when it got into the tree beard section where, you know, here these hobbits are talking to a tree int, I was in almost frustrated and infuriating reading that chapter because the tree ints speak so slowly that you're like, Oh God, come on get to the point. Where's the exciting stuff, you know? And when I started working with land more intentionally, I realized that here we are, you know, we probably sound and look like a fly does to an Oak tree, just buzzing around nonsensically high pitch, fast paced. And so to stop and to slow way down and to really introduce ourselves. You know, I, I thought about so many of the myths and legends of things like Beowulf, where, you know, they introduce themselves and their father and their grandfathers and their grandmothers and their entire lineage before they actually start talking about what they're talking about. Um, and every time I've actually done that with land, it's like, okay, you're willing to slow down to our pace fast guy. Like this is, this is a start. (laughs) This is good. We haven't had this type of interaction with one of you speedy, busy, greedy humans in a long time. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, that definitely makes me feel like what you're talking about, just the disconnection and the, the scale of life and the time in which the earth has existed to our mere tiny minuscule existence. 
Um, but that beauty of slowing down and getting more in rhythm with, with your surroundings in nature, one of, like the way that I, I love to do that the most, it, I kind of already alluded to it, but like walking in the, in a field barefoot, um, especially in, in central Texas, you have to physically slow down because you might step on a mesquite, a sandbur, um, a cactus. And so not only are you moving slower, you're breathing slower, but you're very present. You're very mindful. You're very aware of your surroundings. And I just find that to be a really special way to connect. Um, but then, you know, on the opposite end, end of that, you know, like I, I love wearing boots. It's kind of just a, a part of culture and it, it serves a purpose. Like there are snakes out in the ecosystem sure. and um, makes sense to wear them. But at the same time, it's, it's like if you're only wearing boots and you have this like super thick layer of insulation with the sole of your feet and then you have like this material that goes all the way up your calf, it's almost like sending this message to the land. Like, I'm afraid of you. Like, I don't trust you. Um, I'm, I think you might hurt me, which I mean, for all practical purposes, the time I felt that the most is like when all this COVID ins insanity was happening, uh, or especially after kind of like when things have dissipated and you still have someone like go up to you and they're wearing a mask and gloves and like they, they're freaked out by the nature of this interaction. And it just feels wrong. It feels like, why do you not trust me? Like, why are you afraid of me? And I never want anyone that I co-create or communicate or, or cooperate with to ever feel that way. I think a, a great place to start is to just go grab a sleeping bag and go sleep on the ground outside somewhere that you feel is safe outside as a gesture of, you know what, I trust this place. Um, you know, if, if you do have some significant things that are, are worth worrying about sleep in a, a cattle pen, you know, something that has a little bit of protection, work yourself up to it. But I think that's where a lot of my, ability to connect with the natural world came from as I, for 10 years, I just slept out in the wilderness on the ground. And every time I would, it was like, Hmm, interesting. Bears didn't come and eat us. Wolves didn't come and attack us. Snakes didn't <laughs> jump out and get us. And it was overwhelmingly the feeling of nature wants to help us. It's, it's, yearning for us to work with it. And it's not just a dangerous, deadly place out there. Um, you know, I guarantee you'll get bit by a snake if you're charging through a forest, angry and frustrated because they sense that intention. You know, we can, we can watch how the birds interact with a hungry animal versus a full animal. And a hungry animal has this intention of I'm looking for food. I'm hungry and I'm going to find it and eat it versus a full animal doesn't send off bird alarms in the forest, like something with a different intention. Um, so I think just finding ways to reconnect, you know, I, I totally agree. We have these thick boots and thick tires and thick rubber, everything. Um, and it's so rare that we actually are in physical immediate contact with the earth and acknowledge it, not just ouch, 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 ouch. This hurts. This sucks. How do I get my boots back on? Okay. I'd like to take a moment to emphasize something that's incredibly important in this story. And that is the power of touch and the importance of eye contact as it pertains to communicating and connecting. Now, when I think about some of the most intimate and magical moments in my life, 
I'm instantly reminded of how touch and eye connection created a powerful cellular ripple effect and a deep grounding to my purpose, my identity to God and to earth. Ask any parent to remember the first time they held their child. And for those magical first moments, how bonding skin-to-skin contact and looking into one another's eyes was. This is a powerful and primal moment that connects one another for life. I also think of how important touch and eye contact is for spouses or lovers. These are arguably the most important bonding and connecting tools we have to function in a state of love. Now, while the mutual beneficial experiences of touch and eye contact seem to be present throughout the animal kingdom, the opposite holds a different kind of gravity. Lovers who no longer touch and no longer look at each other eventually drift apart, feel isolated, undesired, and unseen. Children who are not held and who are not seen are set up to have lifelong challenges with connecting, trusting, and loving. With all of this said, I have to believe at our purest and highest frequency, we are wired to connect with all of nature's bounties in a way that communicates our heart's deepest love and reverence. This sacred space should be created with our food, the food that nourishes us, and the land, the land on which we all depend. For obvious reasons, holding your child and seeing your lover creates intimacy. But there may not be a more intimate act than to touch and to see and to communicate with your food. I say this because what you eat and how that food was raised transforms into becoming you at a cellular level. The energy that flows from the sun into the plants, into the animals now flows through you and to be fully connected to earth, spirit, and community, it can only happen when we use all of our senses to interact with land and to food. So in conclusion, stop and smell the flowers. Walk barefoot in the grass. Grow your own food. And take the time to slow down and thank Mother Earth. Or hug a farmer. Or kiss a damn earthworm. Take the time to be connected and to feel alive. Going back to kicking off like a consulting project or a new piece of land that you're working on or you're prob- you're, you're solving a problem or, or attempting to, wh- what do you say to the land? Um, like, I know you kind of alluded to stating your intention, but are you also, is that communication going both ways? Um, and kind of, can you kind of articulate that? Yes. Um, so for me, I just introduce myself, who my parents are, who my grandparents are and acknowledge like why I'm there, what my hopes are for working with the land that particular day. You know, I'm here because the landowners who live here care about this place and they want to do right by the land and live in right relationship with it, with you. Um, and particularly today, you know, for one example, out in Wimberley, there was this one beautiful fig tree that was just really struggling and everything else was looking beautiful. And so I just put it out there, you know, my background is this, and this is who I am. And these are my hopes for being able to work with you. And my real concern today is trying to understand what 
this fig tree needs? You know, what's the best thing we can do for it? And immediately, and, you know, personally, I don't hear uh, an answer, but I do experience some type of emotion or a picture. Um, and in that particular case, all of a sudden at 9 a.m. on a cool spring day, I'm just panicking, thirsty, you know, looking around. I'm like, oh, I, I got to stop this. I got to go find my water bottle. Oh, oh, my water bottle's right <laughs> at my feet. I open it up and I drink. And as I'm chugging this water, I'm thinking, it's interesting. That's, I'm standing in the shade. It's not hot. I'm okay. That, let me get back to it. So I kind of restart the thing. And same thing. As soon as I ask the question, I just start panicking and thirst. And then I look at the fig tree and I wonder if it's actually connected to any of the irrigation system that's out here. And it's the one tree that's disconnected from the irrigation system. So, you know, in that, that was the communication. It was this like emotional feeling of extreme thirst and panic. And so as soon as we, you know, got a very simple reconnect it to the irrigation system, everything was fine, but it was viscerally experiencing emotionally, physically, what the tree was experiencing, not like, Hey buddy. Yeah. Thanks for your question. You know, I could use a sip of water over here. That's really cool. Yeah. That, that like the opposite of that conventional kind of a more conventional mindset would be like, this tree looks sick, almost, you know, running through the checklist. Like, does it needs, does it, is it have an infection? Is it, um, you know, like, are there, a disease on the, on the root structure, you know, like you're problem solving and you're like thinking worst case scenario, what can I do chemically? How can I use some mechanical tool to treat it? But in this scenario you described so beautifully, it's like, what, what biologically does it need? And that's through that emotional, maybe connection or some kind of insight, which is really cool. Yeah. And through so many of those conventional means, you know, we would have put more fertilizer on it, some type of NPK salt fertilizer, which would have made it thirstier, which would have shifted the electrolytes even worse, um, or put some type of herbicide, fungicide, pesticide on it. Um, again, making it worse because that's going to be absorbed transdermally through the plant and it's going to need water to to buffer whatever we put on it. And in the end, it was just a very simple fix. Um, so I think that's the beauty of it is we get to interact. We get to have some collaborative, cooperative exchange with a life form, um, which is, you know, what we do, we do it with animals all the time. Um, but it's fascinating to me that this is an option that we have to choose if we, I mean, for me, because I had to, you know, the, I had honestly just that morning listened to that, uh, AEA podcast with John Kempf and the Frenchman who communicates with plants that morning. And the, the client is standing there saying, yeah, but what can we do about this one tree? And I just listened to this idea and I thought, well, I guess, I guess I don't really have any other, um, options here. So I'll just give that a shot. <laughs> and it worked. And so I think that's kind of how I've gone about all of my pursuit is let's just try everything and see what works and, you know, throw it all at a board and see what sticks and then use that more. So the, the emotional response, like that physiological need for water or hydration, 
known as interpreted as thirst. That's like a pretty obvious one. I, I hope that all humans have the ability to identify when they're thirsty. But like yeah. when you look at the emotional spectrum of everything humans could um could realize and could feel, like that wheel is massive. I mean, if I if I'm honest, I would probably like list off 20 emotions and it's mm-hmm. pretty low level. It's like happy, sad, excited, um, you know, like celebratory, but there's so many other things in there that I'm not um, maybe able to express and fully understand. So as you've been able to really dial in this skill where you're practicing, listening um, and receiving information from land, communicating it with us in, in this capacity, have you also had to expand your own comprehension and study of the actual broad spectrum of emotion? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's where this beautiful, you know, you can't, you can't give without receiving. <laughs> and so in trying to do good and trying to be of service to something that needs your help, you're getting paid back so much more. Um, and so, you know, here question is, why do we find the people that we do? And so my wife is a trauma informed therapist who helps people who've been through an abusive relationships. And just what you mentioned, so many people have only maybe three, four, seven emotions that you can name maximum. And so if everything is anger, then it's hard to really get to the root of what's going on. But if there's disappointment, if there's frustration, if there's, loss, if there's lack, if there's um, the whole spectrum of emotions behind the anger that can finally be named and located, now we can actually get somewhere. You know, we can we can see that we were hurt, we were scared, that then led to us being able to double down on our anger. Um, so yeah, she has a, a wonderful wheel of emotions that's, you know, here are the top three emotions, but then underneath those are these seven emotions. And I'm sure if you Google emotion wheel therapy, (laughs) you could probably locate it right now. And that's, that's been a great tool. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I think the other big piece in this emotions is we don't necessarily need to put a name to them. We just need to feel whatever it is because typically in my experience, it's kind of like, it's very much like intuition. It's a very quiet whisper that you get once. And then very quickly, your logical brain is like, Oh, that wasn't a thing. You know, I don't need to do that. Everything's fine. And then five hours later you realized, boy, I really should have brought that extra pair of that extra shirt because now your buddy just spilled paint on his shirt and it would be great to have that random thing that you thought about, but then you didn't follow through on. Um, because that's really that first initial feel that sense of you feel it in your belly, you feel it in your heart, but you can so quickly logic away from it. That's, that's, the communication right there, that one split second of a thing that was very quiet and you're not even sure if it happened. If you're not sure if it happened, that was the, that was the moment. (laughs) Yeah. We have this, um, you may or may not remember seeing it when you were here, but we have this old farm field that was, you know, like very conventionally managed for a long time with monoculture row crops and all the chemicals and mechanical tools used to really control that system. And somehow over the last 80 plus years that we know of, there's one pear tree, this really cool, 
um, heirloom pear tree that some of our neighbors who are in their eighties used to eat off this tree when they were little kids. And, um, and so when we bought the property, we were like looking at this tree in this field and so impressed, so amazed at the resiliency of it. You know, it had been run over by a freaking tractor. It's like leaning over and just understanding what it's been through in its life cycle and to be able to still live was just beyond words. But my wife and I would always like debate on what that we would, we'd kind of anthropomorphize or try to like relate with that tree. And my wife was always in this camp where, oh, that tree has got to be so lonely. Like it's, it needs community. It's like lacking communication and the fungal networks and the sharing of resources. And and I always kind of like counter argued like, well, what if that tree is feeling adventurous? What if it's like, uh, like I'm the last one standing, but the future is bright. Like I, I'm the scout. I am I'm going to, life can't exist in this field. It's just a matter of time before more community comes, but I'm going to be the one that like puts my roots in the deepest and holds on the strongest until that happens again. And so kind of different ways of looking at stuff like that. But what are, what are kind of some, if if there's an example that you can think of where you had like a really powerful um, insight on a plant um, in some kind of unique situation? You know, um, with our own garden, um, I had put out all of the different uh, biodynamic preparations, um, the horn manures and things like that. Um, but I hadn't, I'd been dragging my feet on putting out the, the, the silica, the horn silica, which you spray up in the air. And in my logical brain, I was like, ah, what's, what's it going to do? You spray it up in the air. You know, obviously we need to put everything on the ground. We need to foliar spray on the plant. I'm going to walk around and just spray the silica spray in the air because it supposedly alters the atmosphere that the plant is growing in and consuming. And if you really think about it, you're spraying a hundred billion tiny prisms into the air that are refracting and reflecting light like a mirror room. So the type and quality of light that that plant is getting is vastly different than just scorching, blasting summer sun. But anyways, I was dragging my feet on putting that out because it seemed a little out there to me. And so I sat down and was just asking, you know, is there anything that the plant needs? And sometimes I'll imagine myself just shrinking to plant size and just being able to walk up to the plant and ask it, you know, shake its little leaf hand. And so I did that and nothing from leaf size. And I thought, you know what, I'll just go ahead and I'll get smaller and go into the mineral kingdom and say, you know, is there anything in this place that's very small that needs anything? And I got this just shot of an image from a national geographic that I looked out with my grandfather a long time ago, that image where you have the cavers crawling in the cave of giant white crystals. Probably some people have seen it. But anyways, I looked up that image and what was that white crystal in that National Geographic image? And I believe it was selenite, which is very similar to quartz crystal. And so it was this reminder of, you know what? I have been dragging my feet on putting out that quartz and I do have some selenite in the house. So I'll go ahead and add that to the mix and put that out. And so I did and it felt great. But, you know, it was this kind of query of what do you need and just got a very specific picture that I'd seen probably 15 years ago. Yeah, that's so good. Um, So 
as you work with um, your different clients or you're, you're out kind of doing your consulting or you're on your, your own land, do you, do you recognize a, a connection of some capacity where like the underlying health of the land is also reflected in the underlying, you know, health of uh, the rancher or the farmer mm. or even the community at large? Absolutely. You know, when I first learned kind of the next level of learning that I learned was on dowsing and how to ask yes or no questions through dowsing. And, you know, that was another out of sheer necessity. We were using big machines and, and dozers and trenchers, and there was a water line somewhere in a pasture. So it was either dig test holes everywhere or dows for it. See if you can find it that way. So just out of necessity, I tried it and it worked and Hey, we saved ourselves hours and days of labor. So with dowsing, the first question you always ask is, can I douse? May I douse? Should I douse? And the only property I've ever gotten a no from multiple times, you know, I was ready. I'm, I'm going to ask some questions and get some answers and ask that first question. And I just get a no, you, you cannot ask, you should not ask, and you may not ask. Um, and so I kind of walk over to the people who own the property kind of befuddled and confused. And before I can even say anything, they let out all of the drama and people are leaving and people are being fired. And there's, there's challenges within staffing and no one's getting along and it's just pure anarchy on the, on the land. And it was this feeling of like, Oh, okay. There's enough turmoil here that we don't need one more person mingling with ever with whatever energy is here. I'd say on the more common, uh, I do get a very much people who work with their land and desire to do good with their land and are, are striving and, and yearning. I want to say yearning because I think that's really important. I don't think we have to do the exact appropriate regenerative strategy of things, but we have to really be yearning to do that. We have to be trying our best and learning and you know, hoping that we're doing the best thing for the land while taking feedback. And, and when we work with people who are doing that, the land is incredibly responsive. It's quick to answer. Um, and with other people who've just purchased land or don't see land as conscious or any of this is real, uh, very doubtful, very logical people. When you ask questions, you get answers as if they're from someone who's been in a deep sleep for a very long time and has never been asked a question. And it's this very slow answer, but confusion and questioning of who's doing this, what's happening. I've been asleep and not interacted with a human being in this way for a very long time. Now, what do you want again? <laughs> <laughs> that always feels very cool to me because it's like, okay, we woke up a sleeping, you know, woke up a sleeping dragon and now we have to be respectful with what we ask and how we perform what, what we have agreed to do because it's a big responsibility. Absolutely. This kind of re reminds me of a, of an idea that I've always had a theory. I'm sure it's, I'm sure there's other people who've had this theory, but like, um, do you have a dog, Adam? Yes. Okay. 
Sorry, if let me know if this is at all representative of you. But okay. um, I have noticed that dogs can be a mirror to their owner. And like, it's pretty obvious when you state it, but people don't really think about that. So you see a dog that's like super sedentary, super lethargic, kind of depressed, like overweight or even obese. Typically, when you meet the owner, they share a lot of those commonalities. Um, whereas on the other hand, you have this like really active, enthusiastic, loving, caring, protective, nurturing dog. You know, it's like always I see that too in the owner. And so like how you're kind of talking about the mirror of land and humans that inhabit that land or co-create with that land. That's that's so fascinating that you probably like go out on these landscapes and you you look at something and you're like, I don't know this land steward or this landowner yet, but like I know about, like, I, I can, yes. I can tell a couple things about them right off the bat. It's like a really interesting way to perceive, um, subconsciously, a, a, a new person that you meet. Yeah. And, and to me, it, it doesn't come across so much as a physical representation, but more of a representation of, of, uh, people who are working from their heart and people who are locked into this like vault in their head of the rules of the world and how things are. And when they're locked into this, you know, quick to dismiss, quick to say, well, that's not real. Um, because if it was real, I would have already known about it. Um, or I would have heard about it on some mainstream television channel. Um, it's this asleepness of the rest of their body, of their, their sense organs that live in their gut and their heart. Um, and I know a lot of this came awake for me when I worked with a, a goat that was giving birth and it was a, not a breached birth, but one of the, the feet was tucked behind the cervix. And so it wasn't coming out because, you know, when they give birth, they need both their feet tucked up by their nose. So they're kind of shaped like a football coming out. And I had just recently learned about this heart math app and organization that really helps people learn how to communicate and to, to live in their heart space, to feel emotions while working through their head space and thinking through logical solutions. And so with this goat that was, we couldn't get these two twin goats out of her. Um, everyone left and I just recently came upon that app. And so I just sat there with my hands inside, holding onto this foot, trying to pull it out. And then I just really gave myself permission to just believe that that is going to work and just dropped into my heart with the most loving feeling of, I think at the time I was thinking about playing in the woods with my nephew at the time. Um, and just dropped into the most loving place I could. And just with this feeling of, you know, I'm here I'm here with you and we're going to get through this no matter what. And as soon as I relaxed and went into a more loving heart space, the goat's entire body just relaxed, dilated, baby came out, everything was fine. And it was a great reminder of, right, all of these animals are mirrors to us emotionally, even more so than physically. And same thing with plants and land as a whole. So, so that's a good point. So you have, uh, you basically just listed off the individual components of an ecosystem. You have your, your animals, your plants, and then like the greater whole. And so does the greater whole have a consciousness 
can you communicate with the greater, the collection of everything that is, that makes it up? Well, this is something that biodynamics really focuses on a lot. It says, it says, let's look at the entirety of your property because that property is one whole living organism. Just like you have a skin, which is a boundary. There is an insideness to you. There's a content to you and there's an outsideness to you, a context. And if you don't set boundaries, then you'll just flow everywhere and you, you won't know where you end and everything else begins. So I would say absolutely. Yes, there is a, a wholeness to the property. Um, in the Fendhorn people refer to it as an oversoul of the land itself. Um, in Vedic scripture, they talk about the devas or the overlighting deva of the land, which is this entity energy, kind of a morphic field of that body of land itself. And if, if you believe it, you can start to have a conversation with that individual or entity um, and express your desires and hopes to work with it and ask for its desires and and the more that we're learning about consciousness and energy and organisms is there are fields of information that inform the material stuff. And so, yes, to answer your question, there is an overall field of information that could be referred to as the individual land. And we can ask it questions and get answers from it. But the first starts with, we got to believe that that's possible in the first place. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well said. So for maybe some listeners who are who are blown away or at least expanding the possibility and recognizing the potential of becoming better connected with the landscape and maybe they want to like dip their toe in the water before they just like full on do a cannonball. <laughs> you know, what's like a really um good way to begin? Like where would you recommend someone first take these steps to connect in this more profound deeper way? I would say the most practical piece would be go ahead and invest in that HeartMath app and learn how to drop into your heart and to stay in your heart. You know, it's one thing to be able to, to take deep breaths and to drop in your heart when you're in a silent room by yourself, having someone coach you through how to do it. Um, but it's another to, you know, hold that space when you're sitting in traffic or when you're fixing a tire on the side of the road um, or when you're meeting someone new. And I think that's the real, that's kind of the, the gist of where we're trying to be is always in, in that heart space. But I think in order to do that, so start with the app, the inner balance from heart math. It's a wonderful group of scientists studying the heart brain communication and how to allow people to be in their hearts while working from their heads Again, I had to start using that app because at the time I was working as an, an emergency medical technician and all the pain that people were experiencing, I would take on. And at the end of the day, it was like I had experienced 10 of the worst days possible. And so when I found HeartMath, it was a learning how to remove my own heart from someone else's and to be in a kind, loving place, a wonderful memory with my nephew or family or friends or sitting in the summer eating watermelon with my grandmother while intellectually going through the logical stuff to get somebody out of a broken, busted car. 
And so that's a wonderful tool to start to learn what the, what's the difference between head and heart? You know, what does it feel like? What does it do? And it's going to feel different for every single person out there. And then start to interact with animals. Really. If, if you're the kind of person that all animals are shying away from you, (laughs) it's a question of, you know, what, what am I projecting out there? Did I just drink way too much coffee this morning? Am I stressed? Am I pissed? Am I hateful? Am I judgmental? Um, Because those animals, especially big animals like cattle and horses are going to give you the exact mirror of what you're putting out there. Um, I'd say a great movie is the movie Buck about Buck Brenneman, the horse whisperer. And he talks about how he doesn't work with animals. He works He doesn't work with animals that have problems. He works with people that have problems who are owners of animals because those animals are just mirrors of the people. Um, So just kind of inquiring on how am I conducting myself in the world and what are the symbols and symptoms that I'm getting back from the external world around me? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like fascinating to me that I think in general, if you pulled like a large segment of the population, they'd be like, oh, ab- absolutely. Like animals have that, that, that sense or that ability to, um, somehow interpret your information or your energy and then like react to that. Like that's a given like dogs or horses, like great examples. But I mean, even a bison, like if you're putting the wrong energy out in a pasture, it's you might get your ass kicked. And before we do all of our big community field harvest, we make it extremely clear. Like the energy that we're putting into the event is going to be matched by the bison. So we need to go out there as a collective and offer love and peace and be present because we want this animal to have like peace and tranquility at the end of its life. And this is how we, this is how we do it. But there's still like that. There's still people that are going to say like, I get it. I, I can, I can get down with that, Adam but I can't get down with the the idea that plants have that same ability. So what do you think, man? I mean, how do you recommend someone going out there in, in interacting in some capacity with a plant specifically? <laughs> you know, first I think it just has to come from an internal desire and internal curiosity of, is this even real? You know, could this be real? Okay. Let me just, let me just put who I am and everything that I know for sure, 100% certainty about how the world works. Let me just give myself permission to just put that in a box for five minutes. It's going to be there. I can come back to everything that I know about the rules of the world. hundred percent. I'm just going to put on this wild hat of this guy that I heard on a podcast. And I'm just going to imagine imaginary special world where humans can communicate with plants And I'm just going to walk out there as if I can do that. Oh, you know what? Let's see. What references do I have for that? I have the hobbits that spoke to the tree ants. I have these, you know, mythical stories of elves communicating with nature spirits. All right. Maybe I have some Irish background in me. We have the the elves and nature spirits of of that culture. Um, You know, find some semblance of something that works for you and your imagination and just play with it. You know, imagine for the next five minutes that that's how the rules of the world work. And then go talk to a tree, go hug something, go take your shoes off and just sit there quietly. I think one of the best times to possibly do this is during the dawn chorus of the bird song. You know, you walk out in the dark of night at 
four or five, seven a.m. right now, when nothing is making any noises. And then you sit there for 15, 30 minutes until the birds start chirping and then everything starts to come alive. And you just sit there with maybe a hope in your heart, a, a deep yearning that maybe some part of this could be true, that we could interact with the world in a slightly better way, that humans are not only just bad and we can just do slightly better, but still bad. And maybe were these incredible useful stewards that are required to bring a diversity and stewardship of the land that has never been in our lifetime. And so it's kind of a, a playing with your worldview. And if you stumble upon, you know, if you gave yourself 15 minutes to do that, you might have some type of experience. You might sense something, you might feel something. Honestly, what it's probably going to be if, if you're a farmer who's been doing this is you're going to feel weepy. You're going to feel emotional. You're, you're going to shed a tear. You're going to have a, an emotion come up that you've locked away for a long time and it's going to feel foreign. And you're going to ask yourself, why am I, why did I just shed a tear? You know, what was that about? Can't tell anybody about that. Um, but that's how it first starts. It's this feeling of what does it feel like when your heart breaks? It hurts and it you feel it in your chest and it's warm and it's kind of this blanket that surrounds you. Um, and as it happens, you might start to remember different memories that were really full of heart. Grandparents and kids and pets and past friends who've gone on to the other side. Um, all those things are great. You're on the right track if you're feeling something powerful that's moving you when you're outside. I love it, man. I think there's just like a greater lesson there too. And when we look at human species in general, we, we have a problem with connection, with communication and, you know, like there's vulnerabilities that no one likes feeling rejected or no one likes, you know, some people have a challenging time, um, working through those powerful emotions, like you said, that maybe they're not comfortable with sitting with. And so that makes it really easy for us as a species to shut down. And I think one thing that we we have to remember and what I'm getting from you, it's like, we're talking about our mother. We're talking about big mama, M mother earth. Like she loves us unconditionally. We are from her. Like we, our bodies are composed of the cycled nutrients that she's gifted us. Mm -hmm. And so the idea to think that for some reason, we, we can't communicate with her or um, maybe we're just feeling like disconnected or shy or vulnerable. Like these are all the things that that I, I wish that everyone knew to not feel like it's OK to understand and to overcome that. But at the same time, like this is your family, like she is waiting for you to connect with her. She's is you can call her any time of the day and she will be there for you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we're in a really critical point right now where so many people have shifted away from structured religion towards uh, spirituality, kind of this feeling of I'm going to go until I find something that feels good, where I feel the spirit is alive in a place. You know, we feel it in wilderness places. We feel it around herds of bison where the spirit is moving things. Um, and 
people are hungry for a direct interaction with spirit that's not mitigated by some third party that says this is how you interact with spirit. Um, and I think that's really where we're getting to is this conversation of how does how does humanity reconnect with spirit that flows through all things, and all those share a heartfelt language and intention and and uh, you know it's like pre pre uh, Tower of Babel, <laughs> everybody just felt you know love is all you need. You know, as, as corny as that sounds, it's like at some point we got so heady and we moved into a, a thinking way of living that we logic our way that it's okay to kill these people and those people and these species and enslave those species uh, because our logic served the function. And what we're trying to do is get back to a place where we feel in our bodies that this doesn't feel good. So I'm not going to do it that way. I think so much of regenerative agriculture is people that I've met, our clients say, I, I went to tractor supply. I got the jugs of stuff that they said I have to spray and my weeds kept coming back and it didn't feel good when I did that. So we came to symbiosis and, and y'all's expertise to know what's a different way of doing it. Cause that other way doesn't feel good. And I have kids, so I don't want to spray the bad stuff around my little ones. And so it's really all of this conversation is coming from people who say, I did a thing and it didn't feel good. So I want to do something else that feels better. And then it gets into this whole conversation of, okay, well, what are you feeling? Let's get real specific. And you can just take that all the way down to this plant's not doing good. What's this plant feeling? Well, this plant's feeling like you haven't come out and looked at it and 28 days because you just expected the water was on and it should be growing. Um, and sometimes plants just want to interact with you. That whole, you know, the best thing to put in a garden is your footsteps is absolutely true. Well, um, I feel like the people who are listening to this particular podcast and getting introduced to you and, and your spirit and feeling your full heart, um, it's really special. And, and I hope if you are listening to this and it resonated with you, that this was like that kind of divine intervention or, or you take that as this was something that was intended and meant to be. So Adam, uh, you know, reconnect with the spirit, reconnecting with ourselves, reconnect with others, the earth, how can people directly connect with you? Uh, so I'm a part owner of symbiosis, uh, which is a regenerative agriculture design firm. So it's, uh, SymbiosisTX.com, and we're here to help in any way, whether it's just a consultation and information, or we can master plan design and install wherever you're going with your property, whatever your hopes and dreams are. Amazing brother. Well, thank you for being that bright, shining light, photosynthesizing hope and all the good stuff. So I appreciate you as a, as a friend and as a, a co-creator and a colleague and um, onwards. I, I hope that any of our listeners that, you know, this resonated with reach out to you because it's just a, a magical relationship being your friend. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me on this podcast. It's an honor. All right, folks, that's it. Episode 21 in the books, talking to plants. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Adam. You know, something that frequently comes up is this idea of, I need to do something. I need to put something on my land. What can I add? And the thought, whether you're coming from a conventional background or more of a holistic, organic, regenerative background is like, 
I need to add minerals or chemicals. Something is missing. And I find this idea or this quote that I learned from Will Harris to be really eye-opening. And it goes something like this. The most important thing a livestock producer can put on his animals is his eyes. The most important thing that a land steward can put on his land is his feet. Now, the other two things I made up, I kind of went commando, but in the spirit, kind of feel me out here. The most important thing a gardener can put on his plants is his hands. And the most important thing that we can put into our relationships with one another is our love. Now, if you want to become better connected to the food that nourishes your body, builds your body, well, I have three options for you. And I'm going to go in the order, like the hierarchy of most legit to second most legit, third most legit. I'm not going to even get into the terrible options. First option, go out and harvest your own food. Can't beat that. Second, go to a farmer's market, meet your farmer, shake their hand, learn about their operation and support them. Third, purchase meat from Force of Nature. It's nationally available. You can order it online. It helps you vote with your dollars in a way that resonates with your own spirit, that builds spirit, that builds community. And it's beautiful in the sense that there's no excuses for you to support the alternative system, which is about destroying relationships, destroying community, destroying connectivity. And so that's forceofnature.com. Head over today and load up on the highest connectivity meat that you can buy on the internet, forceofnature.com. Okay, and to round out this experience and to honor the tradition that is becoming a part of this podcast, I'm going to end with an amazing review. Well, they're not always amazing, but this one is very powerful. It's called Amazing Insights from Ponder Fan. Five stars. Although I follow the regenerative scene to some degree, I never fail to learn and gain insight when listening to Taylor, Katie, and their guests. The chicken episode was amazing. I went from not sure this sounds interesting to everyone needs to listen to this. The industrialization of the chicken is not only shocking in itself, but perhaps as a metaphor for our entire food system and the consumer's role in it. Are we all being treated like chickens? What makes this podcast so insightful is that they have full stack experience. In just 10 years, they have gone from normal clueless normies to business owners interacting with the meat industry to full-scale ranchers and community leaders. All that experience makes them great storytellers and communicators. They know how to experience things and make it accessible to a wide range of listeners. Holy moly, that's a lot of pressure to feel like I am no longer a normal clueless normie. But I'm going to do my best and really embrace the life that was given to me and convey the information that resonates with my soul and hopefully your soul and uh, unite in something that's bigger and brighter than the sun. So thank you for listening to this episode. We will catch you next time.